Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 180, 100 Million Wrist. Hi, I'm Neil. Today's episode is going to revolve around a major milestone that one of Apple's newest product categories recently achieved. More than 100 million people now wear an Apple Watch. Based on my estimates, Apple surpassed that important adoption milestone this past December. Four months ago in episode 174, we talked about how Apple Watch is a runaway train. And one of the main discussion items in that episode was comparing Apple Watch to stationary smart speakers and how the two product categories had a really interesting past five years. One was positioned as the future, bringing in a paradigm shift in computing. The other was viewed as an iPhone accessory. In reality, what ended up happening was the reverse. I think consensus had it flipped. The Apple Watch has ushered in a paradigm shift in computing, while stationary smart speakers, if anything, are turning into great accessories for wearables. Today, I want to build off of that discussion that was found in episode 174. I want to focus a little bit more on the numbers. I recently published brand new estimates for the Apple Watch install base over time, including adoption figures, and I think there's a lot to talk about with those. In addition, there is more room to get a little more granular in terms of what is driving Apple Watch adoption. So I think we can go into a little bit more detail in today's episode than what was found in episode 174. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode back four months ago, I will include a link in the show notes. I think it will serve as a good foundation for then listening to today's episode. Let's begin with the numbers. And I did want to make it clear that everything talked about in this episode, Apple Watch adoption figures, install base numbers, growth projections, they are all my own estimates. I'm not relying on a third party. They are not based on a third party. What I'm primarily using, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, I have an Apple Watch install base model. And that is keeping track of how Apple Watch new users are trending and upgraders are trending. And what I'm doing is utilizing clues from Apple management via the quarterly earnings calls. There were a couple interviews over the years. And there are even some disclosures and SEC filings from time to time. I'm using all those clues as almost types of checks to make sure that my model is accurate and making sense and in line with what Apple is saying. So I did want to point that out. It took five and a half years for the Apple Watch install base to surpass 100 million people. When we take a look at how the install base grew over those five and a half years, the growth trajectory has not been constant or steady. It's not that the Apple Watch install base grew by the same number of people each year. Instead, the number of people entering the Apple Watch install base is accelerating. And this ultimately was the basis for episode 174, in which I said Apple Watch is a runaway train. We don't have a product category here that's just simply growing. Instead, the Apple Watch is like a snowball. And as it rolls down the hill, it is getting larger. It is bringing in more and more people each year. And this following statistic was pretty remarkable. And I definitely went back and checked it a few times just to make sure. Last year, in 2020, 
30 million new people began wearing an Apple Watch. That total exceeds the number of new Apple Watch wearers in 2015, 2016, and 2017 combined. And this is seen very clearly in this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com in Exhibit 1. You can see how the Apple Watch install base has changed from 2015 to 2020 on an annual basis. So at the end of calendar year 2015, there are 10 million people in the Apple Watch install base. That jumped to 18 million in 2016, 32 million in 2017, in 2018, 50 million, 72 million in 2019, and a real big jump this past year, 2020, to now over 100 million. My exact estimate is around 102 million at year end 2020. One way of framing these install base estimates is to compare them to the number of people with iPhones. And so the next exhibit in the article took a look at Apple Watch adoption as a percentage of the iPhone install base. Since an iPhone is required to set up an Apple Watch, the iPhone install base is a good proxy for the size of Apple Watch's addressable market. Now, there are a few exceptions to this, such as the family setup that Apple recently announced that allows family members who don't have iPhones to get set up with their own Apple ID and sell your Apple Watch. Over time, that may matter more, but for today's discussion, Family setup really didn't change the numbers a whole lot. As of the end of 2020, approximately 10% of iPhone users were wearing an Apple Watch. That is a high percentage when you take into account how the iPhone install base is not homogeneous. And so there is quite a bit of diversity in terms of how people approach technology, both in terms of wants and needs. Taking a closer look at how Apple was able to reach 10% adoption, sort of the track, back in 2015 and 2016, adoption was close to 3%. Back in 2017, that jumped to 4%. 2018, 6%. 2019, 8%. And then finally, 10% in 2020. And to be more precise, what I'm doing here is I'm taking the number of Apple Watches in the wild and I'm comparing them to the number of iPhones in the wild. And I'm looking in particular at iPhone 5 and newer. So this has a little bit of a distortion effect with adoption. So that's why in 2015, 2016, it doesn't really seem like Apple Watch adoption grew a whole lot. A lot of that has to do with just really how the iPhone mix evolved within the install base. Currently, Apple Watch adoption is growing somewhere around 200 basis points, or 2% per year. Since the U.S. has been an Apple Watch stronghold for years, especially out of the gate, adoption in the U.S. has trended materially high in comparison to global figures. At the end of 2020, approximately 35% of iPhone users in the U.S. were wearing an Apple Watch. This is a shockingly strong adoption rate that really needs to serve as a wake-up call to Apple competitors interested in the wearable space. It was the Apple Watch, after all, that turned Fitbit from a household name as the wearables industry leader into a company that will eventually be viewed as an asterisk when the wearable story is retold to future generations. At 100 million users, the Apple Watch is Apple's fourth largest product install base behind the iPhone, iPad, and Mac. 
At the current sales trajectory, the Apple Watch install base will surpass the Mac install base next year, 2022. Surpassing the iPad install base will take longer and likely be measured in a number of years based on the current sales trajectory. While Apple Watch adoption figures point to a product gaining acceptance and appeal around the world, the same numbers also speak to the product's sales growth potential. There is nothing stopping Apple Watch from grabbing much higher adoption rates over time. Stronger adoption will serve as an Apple Watch sales growth engine for years. This is why Apple's disclosure that nearly 75% of people buying an Apple Watch are new to the product is so important. That disclosure is all about greater adoption because it's a very high percentage of new users. For something like the iPhone, the percentage of sales going to new users is nowhere near 75%. It's actually a very small fraction of overall sales. Running with a few simple calculations really does a good job at framing Apple Watch's sales potential or sales growth potential. If 35% of iPhone users around the world one day wear an Apple Watch, again, that's the same adoption percentage that is currently found in the U.S. So if 35% of all iPhone users wear an Apple Watch, the Apple Watch install base would exceed 350 million people. That's two and a half times larger than the current install base. Of course, a 35% adoption figure when looking at the iPhone install base may end up selling the Apple Watch far short because that implies 65% of iPhone users wouldn't have an Apple Watch. There is nothing preventing Apple Watch from being worn by an even higher percentage of iPhone users. More importantly, the Apple Watch's future is one of true independency from the iPhone. Opening the Apple Watch up to non-iPhone users would expand Apple Watch's addressable market by two and a half times overnight. A 10% adoption figure among all smartphone users, so that's the same adoption figure that currently exists for iPhone users. If you extend that to all smartphone users around the world, that would amount to 350 million people wearing an Apple Watch. Flip it around. If 90% of smartphone users don't wear an Apple Watch, the Apple Watch install base would be 350 million people. One takeaway from all of this is that when you're taking pieces of a very large pie, those pieces are still very large. (laughs) And so when we're looking at an addressable market that is over a billion people when looking at the iPhone, billions of people when looking at overall smartphones, you don't need a very large percentage of those people to embrace Apple Watch for you to have a very significant number of Apple Watch wearers. And while 10% of the iPhone install base after five and a half years is a very good number for Apple Watch, 35% of iPhone users in the US, shockingly strong, I think those numbers are going to turn out to be extremely low. I think in the coming years, you're going to see Apple Watch adoption that will probably be multiple times those figures, especially the 10%. What gives me confidence in making that statement? Why have I been so outspoken that we're going to see Apple Watch adoption that is going to surprise a lot of people and probably going to make a lot of Apple competitors really start to sweat and and really start to worry a whole lot? There are four primary 
reasons behind Apple Watch's steady growth and adoption. We can probably dedicate an entire episode to each reason just because there's so much detail to go over. And the first reason we actually talked a lot about in episode 174. So if anything, I think we're going to focus a lot on three of the four reasons. So the first one, wearables, fundamentals, I'll go over really quickly. Leveraging new form factors and designs, that's how we use products, wearables are able to make technology more personal. People are attracted to Apple Watch's ability to handle some tasks currently given to more powerful devices like iPhones and iPads, as well as handling entirely new tasks. Given its design, there is nothing inherently found in wearables that limits its addressable market to the point of making it smaller than that of mobile devices. Instead, wearables are one of the rare product categories that can have an even larger addressable market than smartphones. That's a difficult feat given such high smartphone adoption figures, and it points to emerging markets as a big theme for wearables. So when we're looking at Apple, we have to consider India and how Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, and down the road face wearables. I think you're going to hear a whole lot more about this in the coming decade in which emerging markets and wearables, I think they're almost going to go hand in hand. And this is also where wearables and dependency enters a discussion, where you don't need an iPhone, iPad. You don't need all these other devices to actually get wearables up and running. The second big factor behind Apple Watch's steady growth and adoption has to do with the wrist and its appeal. Everything from a great line of sight for displaying snippets of text and data to an opportunity to successfully monitor activity and vital signs makes the wrist a valuable space for bringing utility to the body. When it comes to real estate on the body, one example that I can never stop thinking about is the interstate highway system here in the U.S. So back a number of decades, we had highways built, made it very easy to go across states and from state to state. And we could go even further back. We could talk about the railroads. There's a very similar trend with with both of these transportation systems. But the point is that the placement of both the highways and in the past railroads was very important. And I've come across a lot of stories here in Connecticut, especially my local town, as to how the highway was actually established. Why is there this bend in the highway in which you have to go south before you go north again? For my local town, the entire highway was built a few miles south of where the original plan was, and that was to prevent the town from essentially being split into two by the highway. So there wouldn't be a northern and southern section. Well, now the town's pretty much intact, and the highway kind of tracks at the southern end of the town. When it came to real estate and the highway, it wasn't enough just to have a piece of land touch the highway or be next to the highway. Instead, the key was to own real estate where the exits were going to be. And there was a lot of, a lot of shady things as to where the exits were eventually located as well. Because again, it had to do with people knew wherever there's going to be an exit, there's going to be a lot more people, a lot more traffic. There's going to be more focus on getting stores, gas stations, commercial buildings. The value of that real estate is going to shoot higher. Here, even in 2020, I still think there is this aspect of land near highway exits and entrances that are still undervalued. 
there's still a lot of development that's going around, even just in my local exit, a couple miles down. New buildings being uh, constructed, a lot of activity. In a way, the land that's near highway exits and entrances, it was still being undervalued, even though people knew eventually being near a highway exit and entrance is going to be a good thing. Bringing this back to the body and real estate, I feel like the wrist is one aspect, one part of the body that just has been so undervalued that we still are not giving it enough attention. And we can point to the Swiss watch industry as a great example of just completely missing the wrist true value. The Swiss watch industry was really good at selling intangibles like prestige and wealth, but they didn't see it as a place to put utility. So bringing back that example of the highway, it was as if the Swiss watch industry had all the land near the highway exit, but they didn't really think about what was going to happen to that exit. They didn't really think, well, this is a great place to put some stores, to put warehouses for Amazon, for all of this online commerce, to put uh, places for delivery. Apple saw that land and they said, nope, we got to buy this. This land is mispriced and everyone is going to want this piece of land because this is where all the action is going to be. So they bet on it. That's exactly what happened with Apple Watch. They saw how the wrist was underpriced. And I think when you look at Apple Watch adoption trends and that increasing percentage over time, it just simply reflects the wrist appeal. It reflects that people see, yeah, this is a great place for putting those snippets of text and data and for health monitoring. The next factor behind Apple Watch's steady growth and adoption It's the cool factor. People want to be seen wearing an Apple Watch. The Apple Watch brand has evolved to become cool yet approachable. It has wide appeal across gender, age, occupation, and social status. Apple Watch wearers are also able to add customization to the wrist. We have various watch bands, cases, even Apple Watch faces, complications. There's just so many combinations when you look at all of the different options. Thanks to Apple Watch's comfortable bands, it's easy to wear the device all day, every day. Notice the item we're not talking about here. We're not talking a whole lot about technology or even software besides the faces and the complications. Instead, we're talking about materials, things that can get us to wear these devices all day, every day, and want to be seen wearing them. For so many Apple Watch competitors, this may actually end up being one of the hardest things to master. The fourth and final reason behind Apple Watch's steady growth and adoption has to do with the Apple ecosystem. And we've talked a lot about this in 2020. One of the Apple Watch's secrets to success is how it ends up being just one part of a much larger Apple ecosystem, an ecosystem that is unmatched in the industry. The ability to work seamlessly with other Apple wearables like AirPods, as well as devices like iPhones and HomePods, gives Apple Watch additional appeal and staying power in our lives. The ability to consume Apple Watch services like Fitness Plus on other Apple products 
helps to solidify Apple Watch's positioning within the ecosystem. It is this ecosystem that also, I think, plays a very big role in introducing people to Apple Watch. There's more than a billion people with iPhones. And given Apple's mission and focus to come up with tools that change people's lives for the better, a lot of those people, they're very satisfied with their iPhones. And high satisfaction rates leads to high loyalty rates. And I think we could take this even further. I think when you're satisfied with something like the iPhone, I think what ends up happening is you're going to be in search of more premium experiences within the Apple ecosystem. And that's going to introduce you to wearables. And not because wearables are accessories to iPhone. You still see a lot of people say that today. I don't know why. It's the complete opposite. A device like Apple Watch is an entirely new product category. It handles some of the roles that we give to products like the iPhone and iPad, but it handles entirely new tasks. In a way, it's the iPhone that ends up being an Apple Watch accessory. Turning to the future and assessing how the Apple Watch is going to fit within Apple's product line. There are three roles that really jump out at me. The first is identity checker. The second is digital health purveyor. And the third is a support device for face wearables. Wrist detection allows the Apple Watch to maintain one's identification chain as long as it remains in contact with the wearer's skin. This is something that is difficult and cumbersome for other Apple devices to handle since they aren't likely to be physically in contact with our bodies throughout the day. We already see Apple embrace this functionality by allowing Apple Watch to unlock Macs and most recently iPhones. Going forward, the Apple Watch's ability to serve as an identity checker can end up being used throughout our day as we interact with different devices, rooms, and objects. And we could think about entirely new industries as well, such as transportation. The second role, a digital health purveyor. The Apple Watch is able to seamlessly monitor our health and alert us to things that we should know without overwhelming us with lots of data and information. This gives the Apple Watch a key role in our lives that will be difficult for other devices to handle. And the third, support device for face wearables. Similar to the wrist, I think the face is being undervalued when thinking of the body in terms of real estate. We put prescription glasses, contact lenses, sunglasses on our face. Are those devices truly adding utility to our lives? Well, it's adding one form of utility, clearer vision. And that's a very big deal for a lot of people, a very large percentage of the population. But I think we are going to see that definition of utility expand. It's going to grow. Clearer vision is just one form of utility. We are going to see entirely new forms of utility in terms of adding context to our surroundings. While the face is home to some of the most valuable real estate in our bodies, it's not an ideal place for storing a lot of technology. In order for face wearables to go mainstream, devices as light, thin, and comfortable as a regular pair of glasses are needed. Not surprisingly, this has proven to be a very difficult engineering problem to solve. The Apple Watch and the wrist allows technology required for computing on the face to be placed in a far more convenient location on the body. Back in early 2018, I called the Apple Watch a bridge to the future, a device that was still very much based on our current user interface repertoire, but beginning to lay the groundwork 
for the future when it comes to greater reliance on voice, audio, and digital identity. At the time, in the above Avalon article, Apple Watches a Bridge to the Future, I wrote the following. Apple has a vision for how we will use the combination of voice and screens in the future. Unlike Amazon and Google, who are desperately trying to position voice as a way to leapfrog over the current smartphone, tablet, and app paradigm, Apple is approaching things from a different angle. Instead of betting on a voice interface that may push some information to a stationary screen, Apple is betting on mobile screens that are home to a digital assistant. Apple is placing a bet that consumers will want the familiarity of a touchscreen to transition to a future of greater AI and digital assistance. In addition, Apple thinks user manipulation via screen, fingers, hands, and eyes, will remain a crucial part of the computing experience for the foreseeable future. And again, that was from the above Avalon article, Apple Watch is a bridge to the future. Three years later, I wouldn't change a word in that paragraph. This scenario has materialized. In addition, the fact that Apple Watch is not a futuristic device struggling to handle tasks that we currently have has given the device a good portion of its appeal and momentum over the past five years. With Apple Watch now worn on more than 100 million wrists, Apple can turn to the next Apple Watch adoption goal, 200 million wrists. That will do it for today's episode. If you enjoy my analysis and perspective and you want more of it, I recommend checking out Above Avalon Membership. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. These updates are emails that are sent directly into people's inboxes. Each one's about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. The updates are jam-packed with Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on current news, what Apple competitors are doing, key events and developments in the industries Apple plays in, and also industries that Apple is thinking about playing in the future. And of course, all of my financial estimates, my various unit sales estimates for Apple's products and full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. Along with receiving these updates in email, Above Avalon members have the option of receiving the updates via a private podcast. And so I record a daily podcast. Each episode is about 15 minutes. There's four new episodes a week. Each episode corresponds to a daily update. And so if you enjoy this podcast, which is accessible to everyone, I know you would really like the Above Avalon daily podcast. There's been 89 episodes to date. When you sign up for the private daily podcast, you get access to all of the previous episodes. There's a lot of hours there of Apple analysis and perspective. For more information on both the daily podcasts, but also membership in general, head on over to aboveavalon.com. If you go to the membership page, you will find sign-up forms. Membership is either $20 per month or $200 per year. And if you want access to that daily podcast version, it's an add-on that you can attach to a membership. The add-on is $10 per month or $100 per year. If you are new to Above Avalon membership, you can sign up for both the written daily updates and also the daily podcast at the same time. And that would be $30 per month or $300 per year. And I think you would find you're going to get a lot of value out of that. You're going to get a lot of audio and also written daily updates. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by its members. So if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, I thank you in advance for the support. 
With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.